Whew. Good evening. Got a mixed emotions there. I was heartbroken by the song and then land blasted by my grandfather-in-law here. It's a... So when I got the program, it said that to be announced for my topic, I was like, all right. And uh, so I asked him, I said, well, is there something you want to preach on? He said, it's to be announced. You're going to announce it. I'm like, all right. I was like, well, hey, this is going to be kind of easy. You go to the Bible conference, you can preach whatever you want to preach. And then it came in with all the other topics. I'm like, there's nothing left to preach. They've already got it. That's why they said, hey, you can figure something out because we ran out of ideas. So like, all right, let's see what we can do here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this, this evening. It's one of my favorite hymns, by the way, guys. Abide with me. It's always been a close place in my heart. Especially the very last line where it says, In life and death. Lord, abide with me. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, we're going to be most of the chapter and even part of chapter 13, because really what I'm going to title my message tonight is, The Church, What or Who Is It? Now, I was looking through, because there's different people, some are preaching on, you know, church perpetuity and church authority and things of that nature. So I said, all right, I want to do something a little different. I figured, I learned a long time ago, there's two things that make a preacher want to preach. Good preaching. And bad preaching. So as far as I'm concerned, either way, there's going to be good preaching this weekend because whether I'm good or bad, there'll be somebody else behind me. So, but what I really want to talk about is the importance of understanding who the church is, not just so much of its history, but who is it? Who actually is the church? And I'm not really so much focusing on denomination. I do believe that the true church is the lamp, sovereign grace, landmark, mystery, Baptist churches. They've been the only churches I've ever found to actually be able to trace their heritage all the way back to the church in Jerusalem. Therefore, that's why I hold to that stance. But I really want to focus on who is the church. So I want us to look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read two verses here. And then we're going to go down and read one a bit farther down. Verse 13 says this, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member but many. Now let's go down to verse 27 and it says, now, we, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our dear most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you will be with this message. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would come, Father, that he would work in this place. Lord, that the Spirit would move, that, Lord, our hearts would be broken as we understand that glory is, is, Father, within your people. Father, that the glory to God should be found within your people. Lord, we pray that you would... Uh, at all times, Father, bring glory to the church, glory in the church. Lord, I pray you'll be with us, be with this message. Lord, take me from it, and Lord, just use the Spirit through me. I pray all this in your blessed Son's name. Amen. So one thing that I've noticed, <coughs> when people speak of the church, many of them think of, well, this building. Oh, I go to such and such church. Or in Lexington, Kentucky, where I'm, I live, and there's a big church called uh, Southland Christian Church. Now, it's about 25,000 members. It's got about four different campuses throughout Lexington. And um, so most people would say, hey, do you go to church? Oh, yeah, I go to Southland. All right, that's good to know. You know well, what do they teach? I don't know. they got some really good programs. <laughs> that's nice. I'm like, all right. But really, what is the church? And I guess, you know, one thing, many, many believers today, uh, there's a misunderstanding of what the church is. Many people believe it to be the place you're a member of as far as the building. But it's not so much the building, but rather those who dwell within the building. Now, that's what I want us to bring this down to today is we have to understand that each individual member is called to a specific role. 
Each individual, we have to understand this rule that we're called to. There is a call to each individual. Verse 28, which I didn't read, says this, And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And he goes in and starts asking questions. Are you all apostles? Are you all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Obviously, no, we're not all called to each individual responsibility. As far as I'm concerned, and from what I understand, there's no prophets left in the world today, or uh, apostles. For the one apostles had to be direct, directly taught of Christ to be an apostle. Well, there's nobody here directly taught of Christ anymore. Prophecies are gone. We have revelation. We have all things. There's no need for prophecies. I believe there was one man, I'm trying to remember who it was, and it's evading me. He said that if there's prophecies that agree with the scriptures, well, there's no need for them. If it disagrees with the scriptures, well, then it's wrong. So obviously, there's no need for prophecies. So what some of it comes down to is what are we called to? Some of us are pastors, preachers, teachers, song leaders, Sunday school teachers. Some of us, our mission may be simply to clean the, clean the church once a week. Our mission may be to barbecue the pork for the fellowship meetings. That may be our mission. That may be what, what is our mission that God's called us to do for the church? And we are out, uh, you know, we are not called to be the same role. That's the biggest problem. Many churches have too many, let's say, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Or is that insensitive to say that phrase anymore? I, I can't, can't keep up. But a lot of it comes down to is there's too many people wanting to control the church and not enough people who are willing to follow. Let's consider this. Anybody watch sports of any kind? We're in Georgia. I know you watch Georgia football, so you, can, you might as well raise your hand if you... If you but yeah, we, most of us are going to watch a sports team. We may watch football, basketball. I'm from Kentucky. It's basketball. Last year we did pretty good with football too. I was impressed. But you know, usually basketball's Kentucky. I mean, that's all there is to it. North Carolina, you got two or three really good basketball teams over there. I mean, there's, so you had all these things where if you ever watch a sports team, everybody has a role. Usually the tallest and most athletic guy is in the center. He's called the center. He's going to be under the basket. His job is to protect that goal, make sure somebody does not drive in the lane to be able to get a, an easy shot underneath the basket. You got your forwards who are usually out in the back side of the court up against the corners. Their job is not only to be able to make shots, but to guard those corners so the opponents don't make shots. Many times it's also their job, what's called crash the boards. You get into the, you get into position to get a rebound if the shot misses. Then you have your guards. Now the guards to me is one of the most important, but also one of the most fragile jobs because it's up to them to make the points to win the game. But it's also at any moment they got to be in defensive ready to do their job. In a sport, there are certain roles. A guard cannot be the center. The center cannot be the forward, and so on and so forth. You have a job you have to do. In football, you got your quarterback. Not everybody can be a quarterback. I can throw a football, but I can't get it where I'm supposed to throw it. So therefore, I'm not a very good quarterback. We have a role. In sports, like in our church, we have been called to individual, specific roles that God's called us to. Not everybody can be the pastor of this church. God's called Brother Paul to be the pastor of this church. Not everybody can be Sunday school teachers in this church. God has called certain people to give them that mission, that desire to teach a Sunday school class. Not everybody can lead music. Not everybody can sing. If you got somebody who can't carry a tune in a bucket up here trying to lead music, you're going to throw everybody off, right? You know, or it's, but no, we have, God's called us to a role. God's called us to a mission, to a work within our church. And that is the most important things. We must understand this role. Now, what I mean to understand this role, okay. Going back to the concept, let's go back here, verse 15, where we left off before um, when I was doing the opening reading. Verse 15 says this, If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling? 
But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it has pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are there many members, yet but one body. It says this, verse, 20, verse 21, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members shall have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or one be honored, all members rejoice with it. Verse 27, where we read, where we left off earlier, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Now why don't I read all of that, alright? Some of us have to be eyes. Our eyes have a very important role. Now I'm not very good on, uh, you know, on anatomy. I don't, I can't tell you the milliseconds it takes for an eye to send a signal to the brain and all. I, I can't tell you all the details. I, I don't know. But this I do know. When something's flying in my eye, my eye naturally blinks. I have no control of it. It's doing its job. If that eye one time said, eh, I don't care anymore, and all of a sudden a piece of wood goes shooting into my eye, well now I'm going to lose my, my sight. It has a job to do. That eye cannot do the job of the foot. That eye cannot do the job of the hand. Vice versa, if I try to reach out and touch something and my hand says, nope, I'm not going to do it, well, I can't grab onto it. It has a job to do. It has a responsibility. And we are all called to do a job. Some are the feet. Some are meant to go. Some are the hands. I, mean, I remember reading something years ago where it compared each body part to a certain responsibility. And many times, we have those in our church that, man, you know what? You are dedicated every time to go out and witness, go door knocking, do all these things. You have others that, man, they're, they're much better to you in this church building on their hands and knees praying and, be- and pleading to God for our cause. Everybody is called to a role and in, 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 in particular for that role that we've been called to. But here's the most important thing. When we have our, we have individual needs and struggles, and you know what, we have our needs, we need together. That's our, here's our, I'm going to be honest with you all, and I've seen this in almost every church I've ever preached in. One of the most difficult things is to see a church member willing to go before the church and express their needs. I have a burden. I need to share this. The scripture says, share one another's burdens. Well, we can't share if we don't know. Now, we don't know, need to know every detail of your life. We don't need to know everything that's going on in your life. But we have a responsibility to lift one another up. You can't tell me if you're faithful in a church, you're going to see those around where they walk in the church and you can tell there's something wrong with them. And even simple thing, you know what? I want you to know I'm praying for you. I haven't been. I, I apologize. But starting today, I want to pray for you. We know people around us. We know the temperaments of the people around us. When all of a sudden something's different, like something's wrong. Something's changed. It could be something as simple as something happened that morning. Maybe the husband and wife got into a fight on the way to church. I know husband and wives never fight on the way to church. It could be a simple thing of maybe, I'll tell you the experience. My dad, when he pastored the mission work in Jackson, Ohio years ago, my brother, my dad said, hey, go start the van. We'll get ready for church. We'll get it warmed up. It was winter time. And I said, all right, well, our old Geo Metro, anybody ever seen a Geo Metro? It's really small and tiny. Most of them were manual transmissions. My brother didn't know how to drive a manual transmission. He says, I'm going to pull the geo out of the way of the van so we can, so dad's had it easier to get out to go to church. All about two minutes after my brother goes outside, we hear this big crash and boom. We're like, what in the world? No, he didn't hit the van. He hit the garage. Parked the front of the car up underneath the garage door and the frame of the garage somehow. 
You want to talk about a hard time for a preacher when you're angry at your son for destroying your car into your house and you got to preach. I tell you what, that's a difficult task. But you know what? That's a role that, God, that my father was called to do at the time. We are, it's difficult to do a role. It's hard. I mean, people who do sports, they get injuries all the time. Sometimes it's permanent injury. Sometimes it's a temporary injury. We have our difficulties, but we still have a role to play. We still have a role required of us. And like I say, even more so we have when we have those struggles. And you know what? Even more so when we have the good times. Man, how many of us have a really good time and we're, we're ready to jump up out of the pew and run up front at the end of the service to share our good, our good times with the, with the church? I don't think I've ever, in my time in a, in a Baptist church, I've ever seen somebody excited to share, share something with the church. It's usually, oh, this problem or that problem. But they're, how many of you, you know what? The Lord's been good to me this week. I made it back and forth to work every day without a single problem this week. That should be a blessing. I work around machinery that could kill me. I, I work for, for Toyota. We make all the parts that go inside the engines. Those machines, at any moment when I'm inside them working on them, it can crash down on me and kill me. It's, I'm thankful that I can go home every day safely. It's a blessing to be around. But how many of us share that? But here's the most important aspect. We're not separate members. We are still one body. How many of our churches take a role so serious that we're divided amongst ourselves and we don't stand united as one body. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but have you ever seen somebody trying to walk down the street and all of a sudden their knee give out on them and they start walking all of a sudden their knees kind of flops and kind of get a little... It happens to me. I don't know why, but I'll be walking all of a sudden my knees are like... Ugh. I'm like, okay, well, that's not, that, that's not supposed to happen. You know, what happened there? You know? Now imagine if you're walking with this foot this direction, this foot this direction, you're not going to get very far. You're going to stop, you're going to twist, you're going to fall... And so many times, it's the way our churches are. Some want to go this direction, some want to go this direction. There's no unity in our churches. Because we take our, our personal roles too serious. I've seen churches split wide open because one district believes this, this group believes this, so that's scattered. But I've seen many times after that group that's disorderly leaves, the unity that's left behind is amazing. I remember being a young man in my father's church in Burnside, Kentucky, and he had about 60 members, and overnight, 40 of them left. One of the men went as far as cursing my father from the pulpit. My father's sitting there not saying a word. And as a kid, I was like, why doesn't he defend himself? Later on, my dad said, he, as I got older, he said, I didn't need to defend myself. His schism wasn't with me, it was with God. He was cursing God, not me. Man, that hurts. Because I'm one of those, buddy, you attack me, buddy, I'm ready to throw down. I'm ready to jump up there, throw, throw the jacket off, and then that's fight. You know, I'm ready to go with this. I have a hard time with patience. I'm working on that. But you see, we must share our joy together as long as our sorrow. We must be united, stand together as one together. Can you imagine if our church, the church here at Badea had no schism whatsoever, no difficulty, no disagreement, but he even two members, everybody so completely united. Imagine the expansive boom that would come from the church. Every one of our churches. When we can stand united, it's amazing the blessing that happens. Once we're divided, it seems like everything just falls in. It's like everything just caves. Now I say all that because we have one call that I think there's one united call to all of us. And that call we actually read in the next chapter. Turn one page or just look farther down, whatever it is in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. 
Now, we mentioned all that at the end there where I was reading, um, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healings, do all speak with tongues, are all interpreters, but covet earnestly the best gifts, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, there's not really a chapter break in there. It's just a new paragraph when you actually look at the original writings. We put chapters in there in the English language to make it easier to kind of break things up. But this is a continued thought. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gifts of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move a mountain and have not charity, I am nothing. We have one united call that we are to do, and that is love. Now, people are like, oh, he's going to be preaching one of these, you know, all lovey-dovey messages, you know. Look, I know that in the end, God's going to judge with a righteous judgment. But that's at the end. Love first, judge second. And what's amazing is we are called to judge the works of those around us. We are called to do that. People say, well, the Bible says judge not that, 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 you be not judged. I'm like, well, read the rest of the, that writing where it says, for with the measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. Meaning what I'm judging you on, if I'm guilty of the same sin, then I'm guilty. But if I'm judging you on something that I know you're wrong, no, you're all right. It's my responsibility to do so. We're told to judge the fruits of, of those around us. We're told to judge those things. But in love, not, not out of hatred or, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, I think many times we, we have put our, our own personal vendetta in place of the requirement of God. While we have individual rules, we have a united role. But I want us to understand, if each of us showed a love separate, and then showed a love united, my goodness. I tell you, I live in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm going to share a stat with you that many, many people don't know. Lexington, Kentucky, per population level, we are actually the number one city in the United States for homosexuals per capita. Even over San Francisco, even over some of these other major cities. Now, we don't have as many people in the other cities, but the percentage of homosexuals is higher on Lexington, Kentucky than any other city in the United States. I want to tell you something really interesting about Lexington, Kentucky. When you use that phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin, it makes no sense to them. But when you look at them and you tell them in tears of your eyes, I love you, I'm praying for you, and they still spit in your face, you've done your job. You've loved them. Let God do the final judgment. I'll tell you what, I do know preachers in the past that, buddy, they'll get right up, they'll be red in the face, screaming and spitting. You've done lost them at that point. But the Lord says there is one way to salvation. Whether you believe it or not does not change the reality. Whether you believe God's salvation or not does not change. You must be saved. That's what the scripture says. You must be born again. I had a young man who was, you know, very homosexual in his ways. Look at me and said, well, I don't believe in hell. I said, that's fine. It's still just as hot as before you told me that. He looked at me and goes, what? I said, you not believing doesn't change the temperature by one single degree. It's still hot. It's still eternal. And you're still going there. And he kind of sat back. He's like, well, that's just, that's just being a bigot. I said, call me a bigot. I said, I'm not going there. I'm just telling you the way it is. I said, you don't have to believe me. I said, by all means. I said, you do what you want to do. I said, but God tells me, the scripture says, you must be born again to escape damnation. That's the only way there is. You must, you must repent of your sins and come before Christ to be 
the only way out of, of sin. That's the only way there is. I said, you know what? You want to take your chance, take your chance. I said, I'm not taking a chance. Because God says this, I'm going to do this. And I, I, I'll admit with you, I, I get been out of shape many times. These guys just want to attack and attack and attack. I'm like, you know, I'm done. The scripture says, thus saith the Lord, that's all. I'm done. It's better than for me to be screaming and spitting and yelling and getting angry with them in their faces. Now I'm, I've lost t- t- testimony along with the message. We have the responsibility to love. Judgment will come, but love must come first. We could all do our job perfect. Verse 3 says this, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. We could be perfect in every way of our role that God's placed us in our church. As a role as a united church, we could be perfect. But if we refuse to show love, it's nothing. Because I saw, I'm going to ask two questions here. What glory do we bring God if we have not love? Be a perfect Christian, and if you don't love, you're not bringing much glory to him. How can the world see Christ if we refuse to be his body? I can't tell you how many young men I work with that they are Christians, you know, and I, I don't doubt their salvation. These men probably know the scriptures better than I do, and they have better, even more conviction than I do many times. But they got caught up in this worldly mentality of, well, I don't have to be part of a church to be a good Christian. I said, well, what about that scripture that says, you know, to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together? Well, that's old. I said, isn't the whole Bible old? I mean, you want to say one verse is old. How many of you still go ahead and throw the whole thing away if, you're not going to, if you don't believe one verse of it? But I'm going to ask you all to do one thing this weekend. There's a lot of messages coming up after me this week. Make it personal. When we hear the phrase, glory unto him and the church, many of us think of the church. Make it personal. What can I do to bring glory to God? When these men preach of these different topics and things, ask yourself, what role can I play within my church to do this? Don't think, well, so-and-so does this at my church, so-and-so does this at my church, or the pastor does it, so I don't need to worry about it. No, no, what can I do to further the glory in my church? The Bible does not teach that this building shows glory. I'll be honest with you, this building could burn down tonight, and this church is still here. The building's not, members are. I want us to consider this, that, you know, an old story goes, this man lived next door to a church, and one night about 2 o'clock in the morning, he looked out the window, and the building was on fire. He saw flames just shooting out, and he says, man, I've never seen that, that church on fire before. How many of that can be said of our churches? They're dead. Because, well, so-and-so can do it. So-and-so can do it. So-and-so can do it. What can I do? Make it this week in every message. What can I do to do what God's called me to do? That's what I plan on doing this week. And that's really what I want to bring out with this message is we have individual responsibility. It speaks of his people, of this particular body. Think of this. This church here in Lyons, Georgia, under the leadership that God has put through Paul Jackson of this church. They have been here 30 plus years, brother? Right at 30 years. About 30 years this church has been faithfully serving Lions, Georgia. Same pastor the whole time, right? Been here the whole time. Now consider this. 
I guarantee you, if you go out here to town and talk to almost almost everybody here, a lot of people who say, hey, who pastors that Landmark Baptist Church up there? Almost everybody knows Paul Jackson. If I went in there and told them that I was Paul, Paul Jackson's grandson-in-law, they'd probably give, give me stuff. Oh, yeah, we know Paul. Yeah, here you go. I mean, he's told me some of the hot, hot spots to go to get, like, good, you know, food. I'm like, yeah, all right. I know where I'm going this weekend. All right. But here's something interesting. The reason I mention the church as a whole, if one member feels disgruntled and decides, you know what, I'm done, I'm leaving. Does that destroy the glory of God in this church? No. Because one may depart from this premises does not mean the glory is gone. The only time the glory is gone is if the Lord departs. I believe that scripture in the Old Testament as Ichabod of the young man whose glory had departed from Israel. Oh, how sad it would be that our churches across our nation would have that. And not just because the pastors weren't doing their job. They were the only ones doing their job. Preaching, teaching, preaching, teaching. But because everybody else have their mentality of, well, somebody else will do it. Make it personal. Glory unto him and Paul Jackson. Glory unto him and Al Malo. Glory unto him and Mark Williams. Glory unto him, insert your name here. When people see us, they should see the glory of God. And they should know the church we're attached to. When they say, which church do you go to? Oh, I go to, I go to Faith Baptist Church in Versailles, Kentucky, Pastor Joe Collins. People say, is everybody, if they ask you the question, is everybody at church just like you? Can you answer it honestly? And not just because, well, everybody else is just as bad as I am. Has your testimony lifted you to that point where they say, you know, I want to be part of your church? Not because you're just like I am, but because you've proven that God's in you. Scripture says that, I believe it's over in Ephesians, where the whole title comes from our, for our Bible conference, Glory unto Him in the Church. Ephesians 3.21 I don't know if I preach 30 minutes or close to it, but I'll be honest with you. Make it personal. Who is the church? You are the church. Those of you that are members of Landmark Baptist Church in Lyons, Georgia, you are this church. Those of you, there are several of us actually from Faith Baptist Church in Versailles. You're going to hear the other preacher tomorrow. We are members. We are part of the body of Faith Baptist Church in Versailles, Kentucky. Remember this. Glory unto him in this church means 